What's up, everybody? How we doing? Some joy in the house tonight. How we doing? Good to see you. Thanks, Grant. You guys do a great job. Guys, give it up for the band. Are you thankful for them? I'm thankful for them. Just leading us into the throne room, man, every week. It's good stuff. Um, my name's Ryan. If we haven't met, welcome to Saul Company. Tonight, we're starting a new little series. This one is called The Road to Emmaus. Uh, Chris made a cool little graphic for us there. Pretty cool, like a video game or something. I don't know. Good job, Chris. We're thankful for you too, man. Uh, Road to Emmaus. Um, if you guys have not heard that before, it's from Luke 24. Um, Luke 24 is the first ever Easter Sunday. All right, and this is what's going on. Um, Jesus was just crucified and killed uh, a few days prior. His followers, um, as you can imagine, are pretty uh, dismayed. They're pretty confused. They're hurting. Uh, what in the world's going on, right? This guy's supposed to be the Messiah. Uh, he died. Um, and these two dudes we come across on this road to Emmaus are especially confused. They're definitely hurting. They're not doing great. Um, they're discussing the disappointment that was Jesus of Nazareth. But, like I just said, Jesus didn't stay dead. And so in this really cool little scene, Jesus intercepts these guys on the road to Emmaus, like this seven-mile walk that they were on. Jesus kind of comes up, and, and he kind of like veils himself. Like they don't know who he is. Uh, I don't know how he did that. Just, you know, he's God. He can do that. Uh, they couldn't really recognize him, even though they would have recognized him before. And he kind of just asks them, like, hey, what's going on? Like, why the long face? Like he starts a combo with them, kind of checking in with these guys. And they're like, dude, do you not know anything? Like, do you not know what's going on? Like, Jesus was a very big deal, and this is a very, very uh, hot topic right now. He died. And, and it's really confusing because some of our friends are saying he's come back to life, and they've seen him, but we don't know who to believe. We don't know what's going on right now. And Jesus responds. And I'm, we're actually going to read this a little bit. In verse 26 through 32, Jesus responds with this. And this is what's going to kind of set up our whole series uh, it says in verse 26, Jesus talking to these two men, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Like you're confused, but couldn't you have looked back and seen that this was all kind of predicted, it was necessary? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going to go further, but they urged him, no, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the, the day is almost over, so he went to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, okay? They see who it is. They, eyes were they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Also have no idea what happened there, but I'm sure that was cool too. He just disappeared. And they said to each other, and this is something... Worth underlining. This is kind of the, the highlight verse of this whole series. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? All right, Jesus intercepts these guys, enters into their combo, opens up the Old Testament and starts doing something. He starts showing these guys the scripture that they know, they should know pretty well. He's saying, don't you see Every single part of this book, the Old Testament, every single part of the Bible is pointing towards me. It's all about Jesus. And these guys, they, they said something happened to them. What was the result of that? 
Weren't our hearts burning within us while he opened up and explained the scriptures as he pointed to himself? Burning hearts. That, guys, is what I think this series is going to get us to week in and week out. Like, we're going to be opening up the Old Testament. We're going to be showing, like, story after story that maybe you've heard before, maybe you haven't, some weird ones, some really kind of Sunday school ones. And we're going to show how all of it is a road pointing to the cross. It's all about Jesus. Cover to cover in your Bible is all about the story of Jesus. And we are hoping that one of the results will be a burning heart. Passion. Excitement for what we see. Like, is it actually possible to go from kind of like a boring, stale Old Testament that, like, Mac was even praying that last night, at, like, praying that, like, man, we, we skipped the Old Testament. It's boring and confusing. But is it possible that our hearts catch fire as we look at those pages? I don't know. You'll have to be the judge of that. We'll see what God does in these coming weeks. Who doesn't want that, right? Who here doesn't actually want to be on fire for Jesus? We don't say that phrase enough. Used to be big when I was younger, like, dude, that guy's on fire. She is on fire for Jesus. Like, that was like the pinnacle of what you could be. On fire. You know those people who just kind of always seem excited about God no matter what? Super annoying, right? Like, you're like, man, what do they have that I don't have? Like, how do you get in on that? Even if it's kind of annoying, how do you get those feelings? Well, maybe a more important question than just jumping straight to how do we get those burning hearts? How do we get this really cool spiritual feeling? Um, something that's been haunting me this week. Why is it, Salt Company, that um, a lot of people, like a, a lot of my friends, who were the most enthusiastic about Christ, who were the most passionate, who I would say had the most like electric hearts for Jesus, sitting in your seats with me, why are they not following Jesus anymore? What happened there? Guys, we're gonna open up our Old Testament and our aim is not just to get a feeling. Our aim is not just to see, oh, I really want that feeling. I really want that burning heart and we're just gonna do whatever we can to get there. No, our aim is Jesus. Aim at Jesus, get the feelings thrown in. Aim at feelings, you're gonna get neither. And so don't be mistaken by this Luke 24 passage. We are going to leave with burning hearts, but it is not going to be because we are chasing a spiritual high or an experience here together with the loud music and the fun. No, we are aiming at Jesus and nothing else. And when we get Jesus, we get everything. That's what we're doing here, guys. Our aim is the source, the one walking on the road to Emmaus with us. And so here's the big idea tonight, guys. Build your life on something more solid than your feelings. Build your life on something more solid than feelings. And let me kind of prove that to you. Um, why maybe building your whole life or your whole, like, especially your whole spiritual life just on feelings, why that could be dangerous to be kind of chasing the emotional high, the spiritual high. Um, Thursday nights are good, right? Conferences, retreats, like, if you're doing the whole salt company thing for a few years, you know how the, the years kind of ebb and flow and how sometimes there's less people here, sometimes there's more. And, and you just kind of, like, get used to the roller coaster of, like, man, what can I expect that's really going to get me revved up? And you get all this enthusiasm for Jesus. You get excited. You're on fire. You have what these guys had. But... Guys, and, and this is, just makes me think of you and just one friend in particular. You graduate, you leave, you go out of town, and your mom gets sick. 
and real life and death confronts you and you have to experience a loss that you never knew could happen, like a pain that you never knew you could feel in this life, like you're tempted to ask the question like, why does God make it so hard for me to follow him? Like I'm trying here. Like what happened to all the good feelings I had in college? No excitement, just despair. Some of you guys even maybe, let's just bring it back to like, not the future, but even just like the past couple weeks, like two weeks ago maybe, you heard Anders get up here and just preach a great sermon on like sexual purity, right? Super fun night. We all love, we all love that sermon every year, right? Um, he did a great job. And you're, and you're up there and you're like, yes, this is what I need to hear, man. And you get so excited about what he's saying, but you quickly realize that excitement does not equal obedience. That like enthusiasm for Jesus, feelings for Jesus is not faithfulness for Jesus. And you've already slept with your girlfriend or your boyfriend the last two weeks after promising in the height of emotion that you would never do that again. No more joy, only shame. Guys, I don't care how much you feel tonight, you will go through ups and downs in life. This world is broken. And so tonight, I, I don't, I mean, obviously, I want us to leave with, like, with burning hearts in our chest. I'm just being really careful to make sure we know that we need to do it right. Not focusing just on the feelings of Christianity or what we expect them to be, I should say, but focusing on the foundation, one that can actually withstand that when you're rooted on this foundation, guys. Like, it can withstand anything any sorrow, any shame the devil's throwing your way, eternal joy. Aim at Jesus, get the feelings thrown in. Aim at feelings, we get neither. We're done with that. Let's open up our Old Testament, just like Jesus did with these guys, and let's let him build a fire in our chests. Sound good? You guys with me? Sweet. Genesis 15 is where we're going. This is a weird one, okay? Some of you guys are like, man, this one, I don't know about this. This is like my favorite passage in the Old Testament, and that's why we're starting with it. I absolutely love this kind of confusing story. So this is what's going on in Genesis 15. I'm just going to read Genesis 15, 1. The verses will be on the screen if you are not there. Um, It just starts out like this. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Stop right there. Okay. Abram. We talked about Abraham a couple weeks ago. We've already kind of got a little introduction into this guy, uh, the father of the faith, like a really big deal in your Bibles. He's referenced even on the New Testament. Um, like this guy, used to be named Abram, obviously. Um, God just chose him out of nowhere. Seemingly a nobody, a nomad, just a random dude. God picked him and God said that he wanted to bless him. This is only a few chapters earlier in chapter 12. God says he has a promise for him. He says, I vow to you, Abram, that I am going to make you a great nation. Not just a nomadic man, but you are going to follow me, you're going to obey me, and I am going to bless you like you have never seen before, man. I'm going to give you kids, I'm going to give you land, and the entire world, get this, the entire world is actually going to be blessed because of your family, because of you and what I'm going to do through you. The Messiah is actually going to come through Abram's line. Lofty promises for sure, but it's against all odds because he was old, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's really old. His wife was really old. He had no kid. So that's a problem for the heir thing. He had no land. That's hard to be a great nation if you don't have any land. 
And so already in three chapters, his faith has been tested. Enemies are rising up all around him. He had no son in sight. How could God bless him to be a great nation with no kids and no land? This is where it left him, afraid. Abram was afraid. I'm gonna read through verse six now. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram, he said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, he had more to say. Look, you have given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir? Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one, this slave you're talking about, he's not gonna be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count all the stars if you're able to count them. A little sarcasm there. He's not able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram's circumstances, if you're looking, he doesn't have any kids, he doesn't have any land, he's got enemies rising up around him. Like It doesn't make God's promises to him any easier to trust. You guys ever been there? We're like, man, God, I wish God would make it easier for me to trust him. And it's in the midst of his angst, I think we can see doubt in Abram. It's in the midst of that stuff that we actually learn something about God here, don't we? Like Abram, he asks his questions, he kind of shows his cards a little bit that he's got some doubts, but he doesn't get rebuked. No, he actually gets a God, what we see? He gets a God who kind of leans in, who like has something to say to him, who can look at the sky, claim creation over all of those stars, knows all of them by name, put all of them on purpose, and yet has leaned in so close to Abram and calls him by name. The God of the universe makes promises to a scared man. He said, hey, get your eyes off of your circumstances for one second and listen to me. Look up at the stars, know who you're talking to, and I am vowing to you that I will protect you. I will reward you. I will give you not just a son, but a nation as numerous as the stars. And so here's a guy who's received these words from God, and it doesn't really make any sense to him. He can't see the solution coming. His fear is still there. His doubts are still there, but what does verse six say? In the midst of all that, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Was Abram's faith pretty small and shaky? Yep, absolutely. How did God reward that small, shaky, but genuine faith? Eternal happiness. He traded his doubt for God's righteousness. This was the day of Abram's salvation. Abram didn't do anything. You catch that? Abram didn't do anything. Abram heard the words of the Lord and accepted them and took him at his word and faith. God counted him righteous. His sin didn't have to count against him anymore. Abram just came as he was, all the doubts, fears, and all that stuff. God met him where he was. He blessed him. It's like, you want the rewards that I have? I'm the God of the universe, and you want me to reward you? Just believe. You guys wonder how people were saved in the Old Testament sometimes. This was it. Just like today, faith in God. I think this is really corrective for maybe how a lot of us think. 
How if we think about how we interact with God and all that a lot of the time. Like we think if somebody has fire and excitement or if I have that, that means I have a strong, healthy, and vibrant faith, right? But God says, if you have my promises, you have a strong and healthy faith. I can tell you this, guys. As fun as nights like this can be and conferences like hype does not save people. But faith, faith in the right thing, in the right person can save. If you have God's word and you lose all of this, guys, you still have every single thing you need for eternity. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Build your life on something more solid than your feelings. Our first point tonight, build your life on the promises of God. Build your life on the promises of God. I, there's something really interesting about uh, just like the guys in the room, I think. Like, I think every guy here would claim that you know how to start a fire, right? Like, if, you, if you're a guy in here you think you can start a fire, give me like a, yep. yep. That was literally 100% of the guys, I think. And the ones that, are like, that say that they're just trying to be humble, like, no, I don't want to say yup. But yeah, you know how to start a fire. Every guy thinks about how to start a fire. And when you're walking up to maybe like a little bonfire party, you see it. Every guy can start a fire. But as you get closer... And as maybe the, the evening goes on, you learn pretty quickly that not every guy knows how to, how to make a real fire. Maybe they know how to start a fire, but they don't know how to actually make a fire. Because you start to see two types of guys. Some that go and they lay down the logs and put their kindling in and, you know, build a nice little structure and light it up. And they don't need lighter fluid or nothing. Heck, they don't even need a, like a match. You know, they, they can make their own sparks. Uh, there's those type of guys. The real ones. But then there's, then there's the rest of us, right? Or the rest of you, sorry. Who, uh, you get some paper. You get some grass, some dry grass you picked from your yard. Uh, you get maybe a newspaper. You stole off like your old neighbor's front porch or something. And you just kind of throw it in the pit and you light it up. And you're stoked. Why? Because it shoots up and you can see it. But in about five seconds to five minutes, depending on how hard you tried, that fire is going down and down and down, and it becomes absolutely nothing. Some of you don't know the difference between logs and kindling, and that's why you will never know how to actually start or maintain a real fire. And I'm telling you guys, we get that twisted spiritually all the time. Gosh, I hate transitioning out of illustration sometimes. It's so awkward and it's just not clear and clean. But honestly, like, <laughs> I'm telling you, the point of me saying that, guys, your emotions are, are important. Your feelings do matter. But they make for a lousy foundation. They make for lousy logs in a fire. We need the word of God to be our foundation. If you're going to build a fire, you need logs. If you are going to build a life in faith, you need the word of God far more than you need feelings. You need to know where to start. When God speaks, guys, it's Abram's greatest blessing. And the same goes for us. But do we actually know what he's spoken? Like, what has he actually said 
to you. Like if we want to build our lives on, on like his promises, and what's he actually promised us? Like I have good news. You all have access to one of these. On your phones or in your lap right now or on your grandma's shelf, you can actually find one of these. And you can dig in and go on a treasure hunt. You can find all the words that God has for you. All the promises, all the blessings of reward are right here in this book that God has for you. All the love that he has to speak over you. And I think it's crazy how little we think like, man, this is just like a chore that I need to do to be a Christian. And we're not understanding that God wants to speak life into you and blessing over your life. He wants to show you how to live in a godly way, like heaven breaking into earth in your life. He wants to give that to you. And we spend so much time, it's like, man, we're on our phones, right? It's like we spend more time being like changed in the image of the influencers that we watch instead of the living God himself. Let's not be a people who just show up on Thursday nights, guys. And they're just like, man, I hope I get really well fed tonight. Like, I really need this tonight. Like, this better be good. I hope Ryan studied the Bible for me for a really long time this week because I'm not doing it on my own. I really hope somebody fished for me because I don't know how to fish. No, can we be a people who take this stuff really, really seriously? And when we leave this place in four years, we are ready to feed ourselves. That you won't even need a perfect sermon anymore like you've ever gotten one. You won't need it because you know where God's promises are and you know how to go get them. That's yours. That's yours available every single day for the rest of your life. Was reading your Bible kind of intimidating sometimes? So let me give you a couple tips really, really quickly. If you want to start reading your Bible tomorrow, okay, which you should do every single day, here's some tips. Um, have a plan. Like lay it out at night if you're going to read in the morning. And like know what you're going to read and where you're going to read. Like if I don't have a plan, I am so inconsistent, dude. Like I have to know the night before, what am I going to read? Where am I going to be doing it? Where can you get a good plan? Talk to your C group leader. Your walk with Jesus is their delight, okay? They will bend over backwards to find a plan that works for you, point you in the direction to read, get after it with your connection groups. A great thing to talk about this week. Second tip, don't panic when you don't feel anything. I was talking to one of you guys this week, man, and it was such a genuine question. I felt kind of honored about it, but it was like, how do you, uh, like, Ryan, you, like, probably have such great quiet times every day, right? Like, when you read the Bible, like, you probably, like, get really excited all the time and feel it. And I looked him in the eyes. I said, no. <laughs> I don't. Sometimes, maybe. It's awesome. Like, I hope to more and more. A lot of times it's my fault, I know. But a lot of times it's just, no, man. But keep showing up. And don't panic if you are not feeling a fire every single moment of every single quiet time with the Lord. And then the last tip just for tonight, master the restart. Get good at starting over. Okay, you are gonna start something and you're gonna fail something. This is just human nature. But even more so when it comes to spending time with the Lord, when you miss a week, when you miss a month, when you miss a year, today is the perfect day to start over. And he is waiting and he is excited. Read your Bibles and God help us to hunger and thirst for living waters. God, give us your truth. Help us build our lives on that. Let's move on. Because Abram, he goes on. 
His faith is perfected. He's become a perfect person and he never struggles again. Wrong. That's not what happens at all after becoming a man of God. Guess what? He struggles. This guy's like us, right? Like you've come to the Lord, you've been coming to you're still struggling. You still have your doubts. Totally, Abram's like you in that. He has more questions. And again, God has even more to show him. God wants to show him just how serious he is about the promises he made and just how specific can he be to rock Abram's world and to melt our hearts tonight even. This is what happened. And I'm gonna tell you, this is gonna be kind of weird. Do not check out, listen into this. This is the rest of chapter 15, starting in verse seven. He said to him, I am the Lord God who brought you from, who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord, how can I know that I'll possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So it sounds like a Christmas song. Uh, so he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. I told you this is getting weird. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved, they'll be oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, it was dark. Okay, listen up if you're dozing off. Listen to this right here. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. What in the world is this? Okay. Abram knew exactly what was going on here. In this context, in this time, in this land, this is a perfectly normal um, contractual ceremony, if you will. Like if you go to a wedding, you're not going to be weirded out when people start saying vows to each other. You're like, oh no, I get that. I understand it. Abram understands what's going on here. This is a contract happening between two people. But why the dead animals? Okay. This is actually pretty metal. Get this. This is cool. Um, Abram cuts these animals in half like God instructs him to do. And what happens, and I thought about getting like stuffed animals and stuff, but I just thought, yeah, ran out of time. Um, you get these animals and you split them in half. And you put them, two halves of their bodies, apart from each other. And you just make like an aisle, right? And what happens is the blood from these animals runs into the middle and creates this bloody, disgusting aisle, if you will. Don't see that at weddings too often these days, right? And when you walk through that thing and you are making a deal, it's like a handshake or a signature, but with blood. Because what you are saying when you walk through the aisle is if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Let me be killed. That's hardcore, isn't it? Like that's, that's some crazy stuff right there. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. But that's exactly what's happening here, and Abram knows exactly what's going on. But what happens next? God puts Abram to sleep. A deep darkness descends, then boom, a bright light. What is it? Smoke and fire. 
smoke and fire. Which if you read more of the Old Testament, you read your Bible, you will see this is the presence of God himself. Whether it be on Mount Sinai or in the wilderness with the pillars in the sky, this is the presence of God. And God walks through the pieces. Is that crazy to you? Because I think that would have been crazy to Abram. The God of the universe is saying that. Hey, if I don't uphold my end of the promise to you, Abram, let me be destroyed. That's crazy. Even in this time more so. Like the king or the, the more important person uh, in the um, partnership here, in the deal being made, would send the other person, the vassal, send them first. But here God goes before Abram. And he makes that promise to him. Let me be destroyed like these animals if I don't uphold my promise to you, Abram. If I don't bless you, give you a son, give you land, make you a great nation, bless the entire world through you. Let me be destroyed. No way God is saying that, right? Abram had to be stunned. But what's it say next? And this is maybe the craziest part of the whole passage. Verse 18 On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That's it. The smoke and the fire pass through. The presence of God says what he he says, does what he does, and it's over. Abram was never asked to walk through. Do you hear what he's saying? Like God is saying, yes, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, let what happened to these animals happen to me. But Abram... If you don't uphold your end of the bargain, let what happened to these animals happen to me. This is where I can like feel the ice starting to melt off of my own heart when I get to that. This is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel that you will ever find in the bottle. In the bottle, oh my goodness, in the Bible. <laughs> Dang it. Ugh. How great is it? guys if you want God and you don't want if you want God to save you tonight listen to me it has nothing to do with you all you bring to the table is your doubt your fear your sin against God It's God's words that you need to take really, really seriously tonight. He's the one who's decided himself to take on your sins, to wage war with your coldness of heart. It's him who's decided to pay for those sins with his own blood. And guys, we have all broken our end of that deal, so to speak, with God. We have not been perfectly faithful to him. And so God died. He was ripped apart and mutilated on a cross for you. The price for sin has been paid. Blood has been spilled, but it wasn't yours and it wasn't mine. It was Jesus. That's what this story is pointing to, that the work of Jesus has been done and completed on the cross. And all that's left, all this demands from us is belief and faith. Commit your life to him. See him in this passage. See how far he would go in his love for you and just believe. 
You may have all, have all these feelings about Jesus, preconceived notions, stuff that you're bringing into the room. I know. But don't miss tonight how Jesus feels about you. If you want to be saved, build your life on something more solid than your feelings. Build your life on the finished work of Jesus. Remember our little uh, Emmaus Road friends, you know? How, how did their hearts actually catch fire and burn? By seeing the words of God pointing all the way to the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus who is standing, walking, and talking with them. Guys, Jesus is alive tonight. He's here. He's the one pointing to himself in Genesis 15, calling you to faith, calling you to build your life on the work that he's already done for you. And I'm telling you guys, the fire that he wants to start in your chest is more than a good mood and a spiritual high and an experience for four years. It's an eternal flame, a joy that will grow and grow and grow for eternity that he will tend, that he will keep, and he will never let go out. And the enemy is going to take his best shots at freezing us out, man, but we have confidence, don't we? We have confidence because our eternal life is not built on just how we feel. Our faith isn't even about the strength of our faith. It's about the one we have faith in. It's about a cross and an empty tomb. We know that our standing with God is not about our performance for him, but it's about his performance, his finished work for us. Our relationship, Saul Company, is not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. And you know what this kind of does to us? When we see a God who loved those who hated him, it makes us faithful people, full of faith, faithful. It makes us faithful. People who, when the highs and lows of life come, we're going nowhere. We're with Jesus. That we are not getting blown and tossed around by any strong wind. Just because we don't feel as good as we once did, we are faithful to Jesus the type of people who obey even when it's hard. People who take God at his word just as we are and we cling with white knuckle grip to him in faith. Do you know what's a really cool picture of this? And, you know, I know I'm out of time, but I just want to share it anyway. I don't care. And I got to be a little sensitive to this because he doesn't want any credit for this, but I'm just like, dude, forget it. Um, My nephew, okay? He's 11. Um... And a lot of you guys know him. Don't talk about this at church with him. He was, he was very clear about that when I asked for permission to share this. Don't, don't bring it up with him. But um, my, my nephew, he had a speech competition today. And oh, he like made it to the finals. Of, he's in fifth grade. And he made it to the finals. And so he's like at CCA High School. And he's giving a speech like uh, MLK Day stuff. And everybody's kind of sharing how they want to change the world. And everybody's like, climate change, and um, that's pretty much the only one I remember. I didn't listen very well to the other kids, but it's all just kind of, you know, you know, how are we going to, people, okay, no, some kids were talking about, we need to stop bullying, like, bullying people for being short or tall. I'm like, what tall kid's ever been bullied? That kind of made me mad. I was like, stand up for the short kid, but tall kids, they were the bullies. Uh, All that stuff. This is what Max decided to give his change the world speech on. Um, humility, 11-year-old dude, humility. We all need to be more humble. And he dropped some hilarious stuff in there. He said, he's the only one who dropped a joke too. He's like, 
my mom said she fell for my dad because he was humble. So if you want the ladies, be humble. And like nobody really knew how to laugh, which made it even funnier. <laughs> what a stud. Uh, and then he starts talking about Jesus. Only one to do that too. And, you know, I guess Rebecca told my, my sister told me, uh, he was like reading Philippians 2 and that's how he got the idea about Jesus' humility. How we all need to be more like that. And the top three make it, right? So we're waiting there. We sat for way too long through these speeches, so he better win. Um, and I'm already like, you know, tearing up because of how hilarious and beautiful and powerful his whole speech was. And he didn't make the top three. Oh, he didn't make the top three. And he comes over to us and we're like, dude, we're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. And uh, he said this line. I'm like laugh crying if I get there, so I'm okay. But he's like, I prayed so much to God that I would get top three. And he didn't. It's so sad. Yeah, it is. How are you supposed to comfort a kid like that right there? And I was just thinking about that all day. And then I was talking to my sister, and I learned that Max is thinking about getting baptized on Sunday. And I went over there and I just started talking to like, Max, this is exactly who I want to be. And this is exactly who I want us to be, Salt Company. Like 11-year-old Max, here's your vision. That when our feelings go through the ringer and life hits us with all of us, and when we pray to God and we don't know why he answers or doesn't answer the way that he does, that we would still be faithful and obedient like Max crawling into that baptismal and proclaiming his love for Jesus in front of people who are going to give him no reward. But I tell you, he doesn't need their reward because God's got something for him much better. So let's be like that, Saul Company. Let me pray for us. God, um, I just confess that I, I am faithful to you, Lord, when I want to be. <laughs> I... Uh, I am, man, my obedience changes like the seasons, God. And I want to change. I want to be a more faithful person, Lord. I want to just love you like you have loved me. God, when feelings betray, will you make us faithful people? God, would we as a ministry be less concerned with just spiritual highs for four years, but would we be more concerned with walking alongside Jesus for four million years forever, God? Lord, you are alive and you are here. Would you just, God, I don't know, would you just kind of walk up alongside everybody in here as if we were just on that road with you? Confronting us where we're at, whatever feelings we have or don't have for you, God, right now, would you just meet us for whatever doubts we have? Um, questions, God, would you replace all of that with faith? And God, would you remove hearts of stone tonight and light us up? Would our hearts be burning in our chest for you? And God, would that be a sweet, sweet sound of worship to you? Would we throw up our hands tonight in desperation, saying, God, we can't do this on our own, we need you. And God, thank you for Genesis 15. Thank you for a really guised, but ultimately a really clear picture, God, that you say, hey, 
If I fail or if you fail, I'm going to the cross for you because I love you. God, thank you for doing that. So Lord, lift our heads, lift our hearts. Be our God.